for. Now, their other son, Aaron, uh, he was Moses' brother. He kind of became the right-hand man to Moses when, um, when Moses was doing his ministry. And he later became the very first high priest of Egypt. So he's talked about, I'm sorry, of Israel, the high priest of Israel. So he's talked about in the Old Testament. And then there's the lesser-known sister named Miriam. And scripture does reveal to us in Exodus chapter 15 that Miriam was the leader of the celebration after they crossed the Red Sea and they had a huge party that God had delivered them from Egypt. And so she was the one that kind of led in this big party celebration. Now, in my mind, as being a parent, whenever I find a parent that has raised three godly children, I always know that there's something that I can learn from those parents, from that mom and dad. Somehow, they must have done something right. I know there's no such thing as perfect parents, but obviously they've done some things right to, to raise three grown children who uh, became leaders in their community, became pillars in their faith. And so this morning, I want to talk about Three quick things that I think that we can learn from these parents, from Amram and Jacob Bed. The first lesson is this. Be open to trusting the Lord as a parenting expert. You know, you can read every parenting book. You can watch every show that's on parenting. You can try to soak in as much as you can about parenting. But the best advice that we're ever going to get from parenting is from God and from God's word. We read in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23, it says, It was by faith that Moses' parents hid him for three months when he was born. Now, by what means did they do that? What made them decide to do that? What did that verse say? By faith. By faith. So it was by their faith that they decided to hide Moses. It wasn't a great website that their friends recommended. It wasn't something that Dr. Phil told them to do. It was by faith they felt God had led them to make that decision. The verse goes on to say, Now, they saw that God had given them an unusual child, and they were not, and they were afraid, or they were not afraid to disobey the king's commands, because they trusted God as their parenting expert. Scott Longyear is a pastor in Terre Haute, Indiana. He's a friend of mine, and I've always appreciated the things that he's taught me and said to me. And he says this as a parent. He said, the first thing as a parent is you have to know and love God yourself. And if you know and love God yourself, that will help you be the parent that your child needs you to be. So as a parent, the best advice that we can get at times is to know God to trust God, to listen to God, and to follow God's prompting as a parent, realizing that he is the one that is an expert, that he created marriage, he created parenting, he created children and reproduction, he should know how to lead us as a parent. Second lesson we can learn from Moses' parents is this, be creative in combating the world's influence. Be very creative in combating the world's influences. As a parent, you have to be intentional about helping your child navigate all of the things, all the pressures, all the situations that the world is going to throw at them. Now, if we look at the book of Exodus chapter 2, we see another passage that talks about Moses' parents, and this is what it says. About this time, a man and woman from the tribe of Levi got married. Now, this couple was Amram and Jochebed. That's who the, the, the verse is talking about. Verse 2. The woman became pregnant and gave birth to a son, and she saw that he was a special baby and kept him hidden for three months. Now, the reason that Moses' mother kept him hidden, 
hidden was because Pharaoh had issued this decree. He was scared that the Israelites were getting too numerous and that there were more of them as slaves than there were of the people. So he said that all newborn Israelite boys had to be put to death. So his mother was, his parents were kind of at a, at a situation. They had to decide what to do. And they felt like God was telling them that they needed to do something different than listen to what Pharaoh had said. Verse 3. But she could no longer hide him. She got a basket made of papyrus reeds and waterproofed it with, with tar and pitch. This was kind of the early prototype to the flex seal, you know, the stuff that you can uh, you get in a can and you can put like a screen door on the bottom of a boat and put the flex seal on it and it keeps the water from coming in. This was a very early prototype that his mom came up with. And she put the baby in a basket, this is Moses, and laid it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile River. Now, she's been very creative up to this point, but this is the point where she has to trust God. She has to, to, to basically put Moses in this basket and let him go. So she's totally trusting God. Verse 4, the baby's sister then stood at a distance. This was Miriam, who we talked about earlier, watching to see what would happen to him. And soon Pharaoh's daughters came down to bathe in the river, and her attendants walked along the riverbank. When the princess saw the basket among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it for her. Because princesses don't go down to the edge of the river. You know, that's not a very princessy thing to do. They have people that they pay to do that kind of stuff. So she says, hey, there's a basket. Go get that basket for me. Verse 6, when the princess opened it, she saw a baby. The little boy was crying, and she felt sorry for him. Now, as crazy as that story sounds to us, you have to appreciate Amram and Jochebed's creativity to do what was best. Or their child. They, they were in a situation where they had to make a decision on what was the very best thing for their child. And as a parent, if you're a parent, you realize that those times come, don't they? That you have to decide for your child. You have to decide on things like education, schools, homeschool. You have to decide on, is one person going to stay home with the child and take care of it? Or are we going to do daycare? You have to decide on how to help them navigate friendships. Who are you going to allow them to be friends with and, and hang around with? You have to be creative. And I think we can learn from Moses' parents that they were creative because it's never been harder to be a child or a teenager. And as a parent, we have a responsibility to be creative and help our children navigate and deflect the influences of the world. One more lesson that um, we can see from Moses' parents. Be intentional in investing spiritually and emotionally in your child. Back to Exodus chapter 2, this time in verse 7. It says, Then the baby's sister, again this was Miriam, approached the princess who now had Moses. Should I go find one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you. Now, yeah, obviously that was probably rehearsed. I can see her and her mom talking about that. They come up with this plan, but she goes and says, hey, you know, you know, I know somebody who could like take care of your baby because you have like princess things to do, you know, and you, you can't, you know, it's hard to look very princessy if you have this baby that you have to take care of. So she offers that suggestion. Verse eight, the princess said, yes, do, the princess replied. And that was a total answer to prayer. I mean, if you think about that, we think, well, yeah, the princess said, find someone. But, but, but that was at the point where the whole thing could have gone completely wrong. And yet they had prayed and God answered that prayer. So the girl went and called the baby's mother, who was Jochebed. 
Take this baby and nurse him for me, the princess told the baby's mother. I will pay you for your help. So, so now she gets to not only get her child back, she gets paid to take care of her child, which is a pretty good gig. I mean, I don't know if you could find one of that. Somebody would pay you to take care of your own kid. That's a pretty cool deal. So the woman took her baby home and nursed him. So in a crazy twist of fate, God had orchestrated this from the hand of God that Moses' mother releases him and then ends up getting him back to raise him. Verse 10, later when the boy was older, his mother brought him back to Pharaoh's daughter who adopted him as her own son. Most biblical scholars think that this was somewhere between the age of seven and 12. That would have been customary. So for seven years or for 12 years, Jochebed got to be with her son. She actually got to raise her son, but she knew that God was preparing him for something special. Now, if you were Aram and Jochebed, wouldn't it have, you would have had to be pretty intentional about doing what you had done, knowing that at some point you were going to have to release Moses, knowing that you come up with this crazy story, this crazy plan, but but you, but you knew, you know what? This is what God's calling us to do. We have to be intentional about this. And as parents, we have a responsibility to be intentional, to do the best, to lay that foundation for our kids. I mean, she, she, they had Moses for maybe seven, maybe 12 years. And as a parent, we have to realize that the children that God has entrusted us are, are really God's children, and he's entrusted us to do the very best that we can with them to lay a spiritual foundation for however long it is that God calls us as parents and chooses to put us in that role. Now, we're going to do something a little different today because I thought as we're talking about parenting, we could learn from some parents. And what I've asked is I've asked three different couples if they would come up here today who are going to share a little bit of practical wisdom that applies to what we see in the story and applies to us as parents. So the Padanis, the Gutyards, and the Kostanskis, could you guys come up here? We'll get them up front, and then I'll do uh, some introductions. Um, I've asked them ahead of time to come up front and given them some questions that they're going to answer. And uh, I'm just going to ask you if you guys would stand together and um, as a couple. Padani's, why don't you stay here in the middle? The Gutierrez, why don't you come over here to my left? So uh, a couple quick introductions first. Jeremy and Wendy Padani, several of you know them. There's a slide of them. They have three children, Adrian five, Valerie three, and Josh 18 months. Okay, and then to their right, we have the Gutyars, Paul and Kathy, and they have Jeremiah, who's 14, and Isaac, who's 17, and then down the end, the Kostanskis, Paul and Donna, uh, it's a picture of their three kids, Caleb's 21, Maggie's 25, and Daniel is 28. I tried to pick three couples that were in different stages of parenting, so the Padanis have little ones at home, uh, the Gutyars have two teenage boys, and the Kostanskis are empty nesters. Their kids are kind of out of the house. So as sad as that can be. <laughs> yeah, yeah th that's a good observation. Paul is smiling and Donna's frowning. But uh, <laughs> anyway, 
that's how it works sometimes, right? That's how it works. So anyway, uh, I've asked them to share. Jeremy, I'll give you this microphone. Just And, and I, I'm going to throw out questions, and I want you guys just to jump in, grab the microphone, and just answer the question, okay? And um, the, the questions that I'm going to ask, you know beforehand, but they have to do with the story that we just read. And so the first question that I want to ask you is, as parents, this question. Give us an example how you have trusted the Lord in your role as a parent. Anyone? All right. Paul? (laughs) How have you trusted God in your role as a parent? Okay. I had a couple good stories that would make us look really nice as parents and Uh qualified. (laughs) But then we had something come up last night that I thought I would share instead. So when we first got asked to do this, the boys thought it was very funny because why would they ask us? To talk about parenting. <laughs> right, because you guys are cool like the dads in the video, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And um, so somewhere in the midst of that conversation, we said, you don't have to come. You know, of course, uh-huh. it's going to be embarrassing. You don't have to come. So my older one held us to that, but I had forgotten that I said it. So we had a bit of a row last night over whether he's going to come to church this morning. So I thought, here we are giving our little deal on parenting, how we're supposed to be model parents, or at least have something to say. And my oldest is not going to come to church. <laughs> so it was getting really heated. And, um, and then I just decided, you know, this isn't worth it. And we ended up having a really good conversation about what I'll say is the process. So I came back to him and said, you know, if you had told me you were really embarrassed by this whole thing that I'm going to be talking about you, then... Maybe I would have understood, and, but instead he got very obstinate. But then he reminded me also that I had said something that I forgot that I said, which happens all the time, we know. Um, so we had a compromise, and um, I said, you can stay home. He was very happy, but I did throw in that he had to clean the bathroom. <laughs> so anyway, but I felt like that's the, part of it is sometimes the process, as we know, is more important than that end result. And last night was an example of that. So he's at home. Actually, he didn't even clean the bathroom. My younger son cleaned the bathroom. Oh, well. <laughs> so sometimes, uh, Sometimes we talk about like picking your battles, right? Exactly. As a parent, you have to, you can't, you can't battle everything. You have to no. kind of pick and choose. And the older yeah. they get, the fewer, you know, it gets tricky. So yeah. the other thing I would just add is as a, I'm a musician and I think that there's classical music and there's improvisation. And I think parenting is a lot of improvisation. You know, you don't always know what's coming. You just got to go with it. Good. Good advice. Good advice. Anybody else want to answer that question? Uh, for us, the situation was quite easy in terms of thinking of an area to trust God. Last year, uh, during the crisis in Egypt, our daughter Maggie was in Cairo. Mm-hmm. She was located about uh, five blocks away from Tahir Square, where everything was taking place. Um, it was one of those incredible times. I mean, each step along the way, we just saw God do some incredible things. I know many of you were praying for her during that time. And in the midst of it, there was just a tremendous peace. And I think the peace came because we knew that she was in the right place. Um, You know, she was where God wanted her to be at that point in time. And then the other incredible thing was just the amount of wisdom and insight that was taking place. I mean, things that you sometimes wonder, where in the world did that come from? Where did that idea come from? For example, before the whole thing took place, 
God just kind of gave me this idea, tell her to go get as much money out of the ATM as she can at that point in time. And that's what she did. Well, the banks were closed for weeks, and she became the money supply for a lot of her friends, you know, in the midst of it. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think one of the things that Don and I were even talking about this question is a lot of it, even like you were saying, Kathy, you can't prepare ahead of time. And even in the illustration that you just shared here, you have to be listening to God each step along the way. And it's the knowledge of understanding God's word, understanding God's heart is what gives you. And you don't know how that's going to show itself, how it's going to display itself. I mean, I did things during the midst of that crisis that I can't believe I did um, because of the fact that you will just go to extreme measures to try to protect your children, to try to look out for their best interests. But in the midst of it, the peace that came was because of the fact that God was leading. Mm -hmm. Good. And I just want to add with that theme, and this is true of all of life, parents, single, married, whatever stage of life you're in, whatever season you're in, I mean, we say we, we want to trust God, we maybe say the words we do trust God, but we have no idea often what that will require or what it will look like. So when I think thought of this question, more than anything, I want to say that our whole parenting ex experience, full of more things, I, I wish I could talk all day, but our faith grows. It starts to flush out what it really means to trust God because you had no idea how God would answer what it would look like. It's situation after situation, like Kathy said, that you don't know, like you don't know, whatever season of life you're in, what, what does God want me to do in this? And as you're walking through the process saying you want to trust God, you're learning how to trust God. That's good. Padanis, anybody want to respond to that question? Yeah, I will. Um, so with little ones, um, it's easy to sometimes get overwhelmed <laughs> um, with just all of um, the needs that they have. Um, our kids are three, five, and one, yeah. And um, um, something that was really encouraging to me last year, I, I heard a speaker and then read her book, and she said that um, she had four kids, five kids maybe, who were really little, and her husband was gone on a long trip, and she was just going crazy and took him out for a long walk and was complaining to God about how much she had to do and how much responsibility it was and how much she just didn't feel like she could get it all done, and she was complaining about him being gone and not helping out. And she felt like God said to her at that moment um, that he just said, Marilyn, he's doing exactly the work that I have for him right now, and this is what I have for you, and I am completely sufficient to give you what you need right now. And um, that's been really powerful to me um, since, since I've heard that, just to kind of have that concept of, yeah, we're partners in marriage, but sometimes God gives him different roles and me different roles, and it's, um, I need to be looking to, to Christ to trust him. And just this last week, Jeremy was out of town um, for a couple of days, and um, we had um, our house up for sale, and so we had showings almost every single day, and two of my kids were sick, and um, I'm also trying to pack because we're moving in about 10 days. <laughs> and so um, so you can't really unpack anything, you know, in order to pack it with, with little kids around. So I was trying to keep them occupied, trying to keep the, the ones that weren't feeling well feeling well. And so it was a little bit chaotic, um, but it was really, but I, I did, this week was one of those times where I really felt like, okay, um, there's so much out of my hands right now that I'm just going to do, you know, work hard with what I can do and then trust God for the outcome. Um, and then I got a call that we had actually gotten an offer on the house, but it was contingent. They hadn't seen the house. Um, it was contingent on them coming into town and seeing it by Friday. So we thought they'd be coming on Friday. Well, Wednesday night, I got a call that they'd be coming on Thursday afternoon. And so it was kind of that scramble to, it was like the showing of all showings, you know, <laughs> and it was trying to guess like, what are they going to like or not like? And what can I possibly do by myself with all three kids around and, you know, the house is messed, trying to pack doing stuff and um and but it was a good time to just be able to say okay lord you're just gonna have to show me what's important um 
and yeah, so working hard, trusting God for the outcome. And one sweet friend came over and convinced me not to repaint the kitchen <laughs> the morning that they came. <laughs> um, and so, like, he, you know, he provides what we need when yeah, we need good it. advice. Um, to kind of keep us focused on what's important and, and help us keeping everything going. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Wendy. I was in Vegas. <laughs> for work. <laughs> okay, let's go on to the next question. Next question is this. How... Have you been creative in combating culture's influence upon your children? I'll take this one first. Um, well, first, let me apologize for being dressed exactly like dad number one in the video. <laughs> <laughs> if that ruins my whole credibility, I'm okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah, my sunglasses are in the car. Uh, <laughs> my gas station glasses for a dollar. In yeah. the minivan, right? <laughs> in, my, in my minivan. They right. Thank you, Dan. <laughs> um, you know, uh, the second thing I'll say is we feel like we're a compilation of everybody else's advice. Um, this is, so when you think of creative, we, ha we have had to be creative, but we've also sought a lot of wisdom. Um, one of the phrases that we've kind of grabbed onto is we want to talk our kids through life. Um, and we, we've taken a lot from the verse in Deuteronomy that says, uh, these commands I give to you are to be upon your heart and press them on your children. Talk about them as you walk along the road, as you sit at home when you lie down and when you rise. So all the time, talk about, talk about God. Talk, it just as, as life comes up, um, just sit down and have a conversation about it. Uh, what does this mean? How are they feeling? Um, one of the things that I do is uh, with our girls, Josh is not, can't sit still enough to do this yet, but he will, um, is uh, I tell a story with them every night. And it's, sometimes it's an interactive story where they get to participate. Sometimes it's, we have characters that we kind of weave through the, the stories where they you know, talk about their, their names all the time. And, um, that's been really helpful to just um, get a sense of what's on their heart, get a sense of what's going on. Um, yeah, I just feel like they, for them to hear the message a lot of things of Jesus or to, for me to be able to interact with them around certain principles. Um, it takes a lot of my creative energy when I'm exhausted from a long day at work and then having to come home and not sit down at all. And then, but but it's, been, it's been one of the biggest joys for me as a parent to just have story time with the kids and, <laughs> and uh, talk about life together. So. Uh, I want to pick up on that because the talking through life, I think it's, it's excellent advice. And one of the things that we think a lot about is uh, in combating culture, you can be defensive or you can be kind of offensive. And we're very, I think, if we had to pick one, offensive. Though we don't really think about building walls. We think about what, is, what does it mean to negotiate the moment? And, uh, you know, because there's decisions all the time. And when your kids get into high school, let me tell you, they're not talkers, at least not to their parents, okay? You know, they wait. And uh, one of the things, I mean, it's just so true. I mean, you, you sit there at the dinner table and you're, you're throwing out pearls, right? It's just yeah. pearls. And they're like looking at you like, what planet did you kind of land from? <laughs> but one of the things that I found pretty helpful uh, in this most recent phase is when you have them trapped in the car. Okay, they can't, they can't go anywhere when they're in the car. And uh, I think the radio has become a real kind of moment of talking them through life. Because songs will come on the radio, and, and you're just like, what, what are those lyrics about? You know, or whatever. And you're able to kind of have good conversations. Or NPR, you know, I've had tremendous discussions about everything from the war in Iraq to how the economy works. And you can, you can inflect that in very interesting ways. Uh, to talk about God. And so, it, you know, I don't think you have to kind of over-spiritualize life. It's just, you know, life happens. 
and the car has been a great place because they can't jump out while you're trying to kind of give them wisdom. <laughs> and, but it is, it's talking them through life. That's good advice. Kostanskis, anybody want to say anything about that? I'll keep the guy thing going here since we got three guys in a row. Um, <laughs> yeah. You are the guy in the video, we'll Jeremy. <laughs> in terms of combating the culture, <laughs> um, one of the things is to try to, you just don't slam the culture, but you try to attract them to something different. Um, in other words, and that's something that we really just kind of, as we, and whenever there's something that, as parents, that if we felt that we wanted to kind of try to move our kids in a different direction, always try to make something else that we want to move them towards be something very attractive. A little phrase that we sometimes use was the idea of feed the dream. So in other words, each of our kids had interests, they had different bents. So if there was something that we wanted to do to try to move them in a different direction and get their focus off something that was more of that cultural you're talking about, it was to move them towards something. And so each of our kids have that type of a thing that we tried to move them towards. So you have to know your kids, have to recognize, same thing. You know, a lot of great conversations in cars and places like that that really helped with that. Okay. I just want to say, this is really hard. That this question addresses probably one of the hardest things in parenting because you try or you have convictions or it's just, again, that whole thing of learning to trust God. You have no idea sometimes what's going to come at you, but combating the culture and trying to do that in a healthy way, a way that they're learning to love unbelievers, not uh, be condemning, all of that, it's just really hard. Just keep learning, keep following Christ because you're going to you're gonna mess up. Your kids are going to mess up. Um, it's all part of it, but it's really hard. Just Thank you, Donna. All right, let's go to the third question. This is the final question. Share with us an example of how you have been intentional about making spiritual and emotional investments in your child. I was actually thinking about this when I was walking the dog this morning. Um, I, I love the dog. I have good talks with my dog. Yeah. He, he can't get off the leash. <laughs> uh, I, Napoleon has this great phrase. Once Napoleon was asked, what, um, what, what defines a good soldier? And Napoleon said, the capacity uh, to persevere through great hunger and great fatigue. Uh, courage is a distant second, okay? And as I was kind of thinking about this, I think parenting is all about negotiating fatigue. I mean, it's, and it comes in different ways. When they were really young, it was just fatigue, fatigue. I was, you know, I can just remember being in a fog the whole time they were young. Yeah. Like, I don't remember much from that era, except being really tired. And so, and then as I got older, fatigue becomes emotional fatigue. They just kind of wear you down. Um, and they're really good at it. Um, and so one of the things that uh, really struck me the other day when I was thinking about this was Kathy, when they were really young, would, uh, and we were just so tired all the time, and Isaac would have a lot of trouble sleeping, okay? And Kathy would go in, and he, she would sit at the edge of his bed and pray until he fell asleep. And sometimes that was like an hour, okay? Mm -hmm. and, I can, and it made this really kind of, to this day, I'm just amazed at her commitment to do that. Because it was something like, I was just so tired. I don't care if he was asleep or not. I was going to go to sleep, okay? <laughs> but she was very committed to that. And I think that has inspired me throughout, you know, even up to today, 
that what you do is oftentimes you just need to kind of push through the fatigue, and often what that means is pray. It's, it's not like having really great insights. It's about rather than going to bed right away, you sit and you pray for them, or you get up early and you pray for them. So was, I think um, that, that's really kind of marked us in that question. Um, yeah. Kind of a little bit later one, but along the same lines of prayer, um, we've really thought it's important, like you're saying about talking through life with our kids, and that means being available with them and spending time with them and um, modeling our relationship as much as we can with Christ with them. I think that they just, they can pick up so much um, as we're just sharing with them. And we've seen that already happen a lot, especially with our five-year-old. Um, one of the things, I brought this along, I started this um, this past fall. It's just a little family prayer journal. I did this when um, I was in college, I think, when I was journaling. I just got in the habit of writing down prayers and leaving a couple of spaces and then filling it, um, coming back later, and as God would answer those prayers, I'd fill it in with a blue pen. So the request would be in a, red, in a black pen, and the answers would be in a blue pen. And so we started doing with this, this with our kids, kind of create to create like a... Um, record-keeping system so that they could go back when they're a little bit older or that even now we can go back with them and when they're struggling with something or, or when we're praising God, just be able to go back and say, hey, look what we, we asked God for, you know, last month, last year. Um, and I just went through this with Adrian, we, and we were able to update it a little bit. Um, but that's, it's been really neat to be able to record what's on their hearts and what's on their minds and talk through them with it. And so it's not just us saying, we're praying for this and here's the answer, but for that, you know, to kind of record um, what's been on their hearts. And um, at the beginning of the school year, Adrian came home from school and she was upset because one of her t um, kids wasn't, one of her friends wasn't obeying the teacher. And so um, we prayed about that. And the next day, her friend um, was doing much better. And so some things happened really quickly like that. We also prayed for some neat families to move into our neighborhood with kids their age. And, um, and that took a couple of months, but then that happened too. Um, Oh, yeah. Um, so Jeremy and Adrian really wanted a piano, and I was not willing to pay for um, a piano or a loud piano. I wasn't sure how serious they were. And so Jeremy put some feelers out, and a year later, um, somebody was trying to get um, um, bless somebody, another family with a piano, and they happened to talk to somebody who said, oh, the, the Padanis were looking for a piano. And so we had put that request in here, and it was a couple months later. It was a year later. Um, and this family said, we are done with our piano. We want to give it to somebody. We'd like to give it to you. And Adrian was so excited. And a friend of mine came over later that day and um, to walk with me. And Adrian came running in and said, Lori, 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 God answered my prayer. Um, and so it was just, and then what she does in here, I give it to her and she'll draw a little picture of, in this case, she drew the picture of the piano and her and Valerie playing the piano. And so for her answers, and she added a Christmas tree. <laughs> it was in August. <laughs> I don't know what the tree was for. Um, but it doesn't matter, you know, because there's a little picture of her in, here in the ER because we were praying on the way to the ER one day when she um, cut her knee open that um, God would take care of her. And she was, she had looked at me and said, Mommy, am I going to die? Um, the, the cut was about this big. Um, but, but she drew a picture of her in the hospital. And, and so just kind of creating this, this legacy, this kind of record keeping of our family, you know, kind of here's what God's doing actively. Um, can I share one more story? Yes. Yeah. Um, so we're trying to model this listening, hearing and listening to God and, and model it and model it and model our relationship with, with them. And, um, and the last week of school, we told the kids that we were moving to Colorado and we talked to them and, um, that night she went to bed and the next morning she got up and came into my room and said, mommy, I'm ready to move. Let's go to Colorado. 
And I said, okay, that, you know, great. And we went and had breakfast. We got dressed. This was the last day of school. We got in the car and we got in the car and she said, mom, I don't want to move to Colorado. I like my friends. I don't want to leave my school. And I don't want to do that. Let's not do it. And I turned around and looked at her and I said, babe, I love Bloomington too. I love our friends here. And, um, and I'm going to be sad sometimes too. Moving to Colorado would be really good. Um, but it's going to be hard too. And that's okay. And we can kind of talk about that as, as we do that. And she was quiet for a minute. And then she goes, mom, does God want us to move to Colorado? (laughs) And I turned around and looked at her in the back of the minivan. And I said, yeah, honey, daddy and I really think so. And she just goes, oh, okay. (laughs) <laughs> um, just this, it, it was just kind of like some of that payback for kind of, you know, just watching God. And I think she was start, she's starting to realize we don't always have all the answers or we're not always completely sure or we're not, you know, it's not, it doesn't stop with us. There's something bigger there. And for yes. her to just kind of be, and ever since then, she's just kind of been like, okay, like there's a, there's a piece there that she's getting from that. And so that's been neat to see. That's cool. Um, one of the things that I wanted to share was, and this really would go along with all the questions. I think the most important thing in a family is making memories. And so in terms of some of the things that are intentional about investment in their, their walks with God are just some, some things we do every year. And one of the things I'll just share, um, I'll, I'll just share two things. One is on Good Friday, which this has come kind of from my background, but Good Friday was always a really important day to me growing up. And it's just something that um, we brought into our family. And so we used to, if the kids were in school, we'd get them out of school by noon or one o'clock, depending on the year. Um, But from noon to three, we would have this time where we would do very age-appropriate activities, all centered around Jesus and what he had done for us. And so it was building a memory as well as trying, again, just uh, this investment in the walk with God. The other thing, especially for those of you who have really young children that we have done, and um, it's just an idea, is uh, there's always a sweet time when they're little that they express that they've maybe accepted Jesus or come to believe in him. And, you know, who knows what they really understood. It doesn't matter. We just really know that Jesus can connect with children, and that's all that matters. So what we decided that we would do is we would always celebrate that. We'd call it their spiritual birthday. Not necessarily that we were convinced maybe that they absolutely became Christians. We kind of anticipated for all of them that at some time older they were going to say, this is the time mom and dad, I really got it. But it didn't matter because we were celebrating that whatever little connection they made with Christ at that point, we were going to keep feeding that. And that's what we would do. We'd call it their spiritual birthday. There'd always be a little treat and some kind of book or, or activity or something to invest in their walk with God. So another thing in terms of being intentional is determining things that are your areas of strength or love or passions to build memories around that are associated with building their faith. Hey, can you give these couples a hand for doing that? Thank you. Hey, I want to thank those couples for uh, for being vulnerable and coming up and sharing with us today. Uh, I, I ask them because I, I know each family and I know that the, uh, they're, not, they're not perfect. They don't have perfect marriages. They don't have perfect kids and they're not perfect parents, but I know that they really strive to do what God's called them to do. And I thought there's things, I've learned things from them before and even today. So I, I hopefully it's been uh, productive for you as well. We're going to move into a time of communion. We do that each week here at Exodus, and I'll say a prayer here in a moment, and then we'll have 
three different stations, one here in the middle, one in my right and left, and you are invited to come up and take the Lord's Supper. At the same time, there'll be people that will be willing to pray for you over here to your right through those double doors. If you have any needs or just want someone to pray for you, whatever it is that's going on in your life, uh, people would be there that would love just to say a prayer for you. So I'm going to pray and then we'll take communion together. Lord, uh, we remember Jesus dying on the cross and raising from the dead and um, the grace and the forgiveness and the mercy that we have. And as parents, uh, Father, that's an important thing for us to know that we're not perfect parents. We try with our kids, but when we make mistakes, uh, there is your mercy for us and uh, for them. And so we celebrate that and thank you for it today. In Christ's name, amen.